social media was this holy grail where it could take care of everything. Welcome to Drexel's 10,000 Hours podcast. Our goal is to mine the stories behind our region's innovators, inventors, and thought creators. We'll be talking to experts in subjects from fashion to neuroscience to find out where their passion for work and inspiration for ideas comes from. I'm your host, Maurice Baynard. Min Lee is an assistant professor in Drexel University's Department of Communications, where she specializes in public relations and her research focuses on social media strategies for relationship and reputation management. Min's the one you call when your Twitter posts have gone awry and you find yourself with a crisis on your hands. Man. All right, I'm excited. So I like this. There are a million ways to start, but I hate the formal Dr. Min Lee. Mm -hmm. Welcome to the 10,000 Hours. Okay. So I'm going to start like this. Um, what is your favorite question to answer about yourself? That's a great question. I've never thought about that before, nor has anyone asked me that before. Um, I guess the story as to how <clears throat> I came to the U.S. in the first place. Okay, so tell me about that story. Like, where's it? Like, where's it start? Okay. And what's the really interesting part of that story? Okay, I majored in PR throughout my entire academic career, undergrad, graduate, like master's, PhD. All of that was in public relations. When did you know that you wanted to do public relations? Did you know in high school or when you got to college? I think I'm a product of the self-fulfilling prophecy because my middle school teacher said that I was a good writer and she thought that I would be a good journalist. So I wanted to major in journalism. So when I entered college, I did a dual degree in journalism and public relations because that was a popular thing to do at the time. And situate us, where are we in the world? We are in Seoul, South Korea. And where are you going to college? And I went to a women's university called Sukmyung Women's University. The university that I graduated from, it was actually created by the uh, the empress in, in Chosun Dynasty. So by the time I went to college, it was celebrating its 125th anniversary. Right. So it's been a while. So long history, a lot of it's luminous graduates. Yes. And I did a foreign exchange student program while I was an undergrad that led me to Florida State. And was that culture shock? It was, but it was a pleasant culture shock. Mm -hmm. um, I experienced culture shock more so when I moved from Florida to Missouri than when I moved from Korea to Florida. Did you have a sense of where Missouri was and how different it would be than Florida before you moved there? No, absolutely not. Um, and I think when I moved to Florida, I was prepared. I was mentally getting ready to move to a new country, you know, be kind of open-minded in terms of what was going to greet me. Mm -hmm. And then I think I thought I was done with that process. And then when I moved to the Midwest, it was just completely different. How long were you in Florida? Not too long. I only stayed there for three years total. 
So I did a year of uh, exchange student, went back to Korea, finished my degree, worked for a little bit, and then came back to do my graduate studies. Did you work as a journalist or in a PR firm? I worked as a PR person. Mm -hmm. So to kind of back paddle a little bit, the reason why I switched over completely to PR was because I was better at it. It took me less effort, but it came out with better grades, I don't know. I think it was just a better fit for me that I wasn't even aware of. Where do you see um, the world going now that we all are interested in projecting messages about ourselves? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think that's playing out since none of most of us aren't PR professionals? Right. I'll talk more from the organizational standpoint because that's where my background is. But for organizations, when social media first emerged and became the channel to communicate, it was quite exciting, particularly for public relations, because we now don't have to go through that gatekeeping process. We have a channel to communicate directly, engage directly, and the ways in which how we could strategically craft our messages really made a difference. So that also cut down quite amount of time, energy, and even money in terms of trying to build and forge relationships with the journalists so that they could convey the message on behalf of the organization. Now, with that part of the equation, not to say it's unimportant, but less significant than before, social media was this holy grail where it could take care of everything. But then the audience, so to speak, or the public, so to speak, they became more savvy, but they also became a little more snarky in the ways in which how they engage with organizations as well. So on the one end of the extreme spectrum, you would have rumors or uh, like faux pas events where they say, oh, organization XYZ accused of, or like hoaxes, they were accused of the organization of doing a wrong thing when in reality that wasn't the case. So a classic example I can think of is back in, I believe, 2009 when um, these employees at Domino's, they created a YouTube video where they were showing, you know, pizza making with, you know, unsanitary hands or picking their noses and putting boogers on, you know, the crust and whatnot, and that got circulated through YouTube. And were they trying to be funny? They were trying to be funny. Right. Yes, they were trying right. to be funny, sarcastic, that, hey, this is what's happening when you're ordering your pizza. And definitely it, it blew up, but right. it, wasn't, it wasn't a real thing. Right. But Domino's CEO had to come in and step out and issue a formal apology because, you know, obviously the public was outraged and they were concerned that this was really the way how the pizzas were you know, created. But uh, if not, that it was okay for these employees to, you know, continue working, continue to work in these situations. That's a great story. Should organizations try to um, steer clear of the humor unless they, because you never know how it's going to land? Well, one of the positives, if it is, that came out from these series of incidents, so so the dominoes was a big one, and all of these incidents that happened in the mid-2000s, it led to organizations putting together a social media handbook, Mm -hmm. more specifically a social media crisis handbook. So what do you do when you're dealing with social media content? Are you, you know, minuscule things as to how do you as an employee deal with content that you distribute even if you don't think you are doing so on behalf of the organization, but 
because of your association with it, what happens when that gets distributed through personal accounts or whatnot? And then how do you also respond to attacks or rumors or hoaxes that are directed towards the organization as well? And and how should organizations, when it seems like the world is coming at them, how should they get ahead of the messaging? Mm -hmm. So there's a couple of different things that you can do, and we in, in, public, in public relations, we have a theory called situational crisis communication theory, or SCCT as an abbreviation. I'm writing it down. SCCT. It's <laughs> it's pretty uh, it's pretty awesome, but you're talking to an academic over here. Um, but what the theory suggests is, regardless of the medium that delivers the crisis the very first thing uh, organizations need to do is to determine whether the locus of control is internal or external. So if the organization is at fault, then you obviously have to take more accommodating stances, apologize. Could you or, explain for us locus of control? I sure. Think. Locus of control basically just means who's responsible for the crisis. Right. So if it's the employee who messed up, for the lack of better words, then it's your job as the organization to, you know, confront and be upfront and say, hey, we messed up and this is what we're going to do to correct these or remediate the situation, issue an apology. If the responsibility is external, then you have um, more, I guess, room to be uh, accommodating, uh, advocating towards your organization, saying things like, look, this is, you know, a, a, a malicious att attack towards our organization. It's unverified. But at the same time, you still need to let them know that we're you know, looking through things, making sure that we're covering all grounds and whatnot. Now, the uh, sort of the contingency factors associated with this is how severe the crisis is. So if it involves human causalities, then regardless of whether the responsibility is within or, or you know, outside of the organization, you want to be more accommodating because it's the human thing to do, right? You apologize, you you, uh, or you express condolences for the situation. Um, so that gives us sort of a framework as to how to respond in those situations. And when we put social media into the equation, the key factor that we now need to consider is the timing of the responses. Because back in the day, crisis happened you had to worry about the press coming in and figuring out and you know putting that story out before you. Nowadays with social media, A, it can go out before the press reaches you, or B, it can recirculate even after it's been a done deal. Like right. the, On the internet, nothing ever mm -hmm. gets old right, and right. things always come back. Right, so the situation I think about is the Abercrombie crisis that happened with the CEO but he, he made a comment uh, when uh, one of the customers asked why the sizing in Abercrombie & Fitch is so limiting. And he said, well, we, we cater to a specific audience. We want to I remember it well. market for the cool kids, right? <laughs> and that comment resurfaced in uh, six years after he made, that com uh, he made the comment to press. And it, it recirculated again. And they issued an apology through Facebook. And I can see you making like a very questionable face over there. And everyone is exactly thinking the same thing. <laughs> Why would anyone issue an apology over Facebook? 
Right. Is right. Facebook really the place mm-hmm. where you want to sort of adjudicate your evils and your ills? Right. So... What do you think the company was thinking in that? Were they were they also doubling down on the idea that um, our customers and who we care about are young and hip and and technically savvy? I think a part of it had to do with the fact that this crisis blew up again on social mm-hmm. media. So right. they thought they were being savvy and perhaps tailored in their approach. They were to, aiming the hose where they felt the right. fire was. So it happened in social media, so we're going to respond back on social media. Obviously, the the structure it's, or the, the content itself was also quite problematic because what they said was basically, oh, I'm sorry people discovered this comment. Right. Rather than addressing <laughs> the initial Sorry, situation. not sorry. Right. <laughs> And then, of course, you have thousands and thousands of people replying to that post, which generated even more coverage which, which, of the right, situation. Which, so in some ways, yes, all um, so all press is good press. But on the Internet, every comment generates more momentum mm-hmm. around the comment. Right. So I know we tend to focus on the egregious examples of big companies that become really public, Mm -hmm. but are there any examples of people managing crisis, either utilizing social media or in the real world, that you thought were really exemplary, Mm -hmm. that you point your students to and go, they got it right? Right. So Southwest, that's one of the airlines that I can think of. Um, And if you look at the customer satisfaction uh, survey results, they tend to be, uh, you know, sort of the top three uh, airlines when it comes to customer satisfaction rates year after year. And they have a pretty they have a pretty awesome social media game going on. Basically, they know how to communicate in a manner that conveys humor, but more importantly, humanism. So if you look at their uh, Southwest blog, that's one of their more active places. They have independent uh, or individuals that will post regularly who, of course, are Southwest employees. But the manner how they post is it's just very basic things, but it gives you a face. It tells you where that person's hometown is. It draws you into them as people. Yes. So you you get a little bit of background story as to who they are, like the hometown, why they came to or why they joined Southwest, what their role is within the company. And then they will curate content that's not only relevant to the airline business, but something that's also just fun and entertaining and, you know, good to read to the audience. So you provide them content that's relevant, but also interesting to continue traffic to revisit. Um, I think basically they're just trying to be personable at the end of the day and to differentiate themselves through the communication channels. And also one of the key things with PR is that you can never have a good PR with a crappy service or a crappy business. It's impossible impossible. to put out a good message on top of really crappy service. Right. I think that's where a lot of the bad blood uh, towards PR comes from, is that certain organizations have this idea that they can be, you know, they can cut slack, they can do, I'm thinking about the S word over here, but they can do like wrong things and expect (laughs) PR to come in and clean up the mess and people will be, you know, all happy and you know forgetting about the incident. I feel like all our audience is now Googling S word <laughs> just to figure out what she means. Um, no, I totally get I'm right. super um, excited about this insight that I hadn't thought about much, and that is 
when you craft a really great message and you try to lay it on top of really bad service, it makes you more angry. Yes, exactly. So you, like I, um, monitor all kinds of media, both Mm -hmm. television and on our phones. Is there any example of any company or organization that you see how they've wandered into a crisis and how they're handling it, and you say to yourself, I'm super happy that uh, I don't work for them, or I wish they'd call me? Well, the Boeing, that's the corporation that I can think of at the moment with their series of- Planes falling out of the sky. Plane crashes. Not so good. Yes, not so good, definitely. (laughs) And you know, we talked about how there are certain business models where because of the the ways in which how they operate and the right. products and services that they create, it's just embedded in their business model to be more proactive and you know resilient in terms of dealing with these crisis situations. And I think with Boeing, the the interesting aspect is that they're not used to dealing with uh, direct consumers, if that makes sense. They are not a business to consumer company. They are a business to business company. Right. So even at this day and age, I don't think they had a strategic crisis plan in hand in terms of how to deal with and respond when these incidents happen. Because if you think about it, initially it was about Lion Air, right? It was the airline company. And then the black box came in, then it talked about the aircraft itself, and then I forget what with uh, the second airline or the second airline that crashed, Ethiopian airline, yeah, yes. right. So when that happened again, and then there was a third case where it didn't end up in a crash, but basically AA. Same, but same problem. The same thing, same thing happened. And what ha- when the investigations uh, showed that it was actually because they failed to make a critical piece mandatory that they had to purchase it separately. Right. I mean, and they didn't message to pilots that right. some things were different yes, and that perhaps you would need additional right. training. Right. So that in itself is just, this isn't even about crisis communication anymore. It's about being a good business. Right? And a good global citizen. Yeah, a good global citizen, being ethical, being responsible of what you create to the world. Hmm. You know, it's not even about responding to the situation. Hmm. It's about how the corporation from the get-go was inviting the crisis to happen. It was just a matter of, it was just a matter of time. So I have a hypothetical for you. So um, a VC discovers us here at the 10,000 hours and thinks we're geniuses and gives us $2 billion to build a podcast uh, network. And we want to hire you as our crisis management PR person. What would be the five things that you would tell us um, when we got ourselves into real public harm? So I think it would be instrumental to have a pre-crisis plan and also a post-crisis plan. So you have to have um, a handbook or a manual in, in hand so that you know how to prevent crises from happening. And you know, there's some really interesting literature uh, in the PR field, uh, we say that about 80% of crises are actually preventable. It can stop at the at the risk or the issue management level. So at the pre-crisis stage, you have to be vigilant with your environmental scanning, right? You, you read the news, you follow the public opinion, you monitor your social media channels, 
you build good relationships with the press. You also build good relationships with your customer base. And you know, I talk about this over and over again, but you make sure that you do a good job uh, in your business model itself. But let's say eventually a crisis happens. It's inevitable or inevitable and you have to do some sort of responding. The first step definitely would be to determine the responsibility of the crisis. Is this something of our fault? Is this something of an external fault? And if you say it's external, then perhaps wait a little bit to see, you know, the type of information that rolls in. At the same time, you will need to alert you know, the public and say, hey, you know, we're investigating. Information will be released promptly, uh, act transparently and whatnot. But beyond that, perhaps not wait a little bit to issue an apology or formal corrective actions or whatnot. But then let's say you find out, even though the responsibility of external, that there are causalities associated with it. Then you have to take a more uh, empathetic response to it, right? So the uh, responsibility access and then the severity are the two things that I would determine Mm. at the very initial level. And then after that's been done, then you need to understand who the affected audience is, right? Understood. Is it the is this the direct uh, hit to our you know key publics, or is this something that is more tangential in terms of our business model? And this might sound horrible, but if this doesn't involve our key uh, personnel's, then it can it can wait a little bit, right? As well. But let's say it ticks off all the boxes. Like worst yeah. scenario, yeah. internal, core severe, customers. <laughs> core customers. Then you need to what we call steal thunder. And stealing thunder is the idea that you're the first person to put out a response message. Hmm. Don't wait until the press comes to you. Don't wait until, you know, to have this formal press release or, I mean, uh, Press conference, press conference, issue a statement, build a key message, have a phrase or two that you are going to cohesively and continuously communicate with the public, and then make it available as soon as you can. Hmm. So although we say that social media is a no-no in terms of distributing the message, it can be a good place to start the initial conversation. We don't want a 140 character uh, tweet apology but it can be a good place to direct you to a longer, more extensive, more thought out. right, thought-out place. So once you steal that thunder, you have a cohesive message, and then now it's time to just continually, uh, continuously monitor and respond to really the influx of communication that's going to be directed towards you. And this is where your pre-crisis plan book is going to be handy because that should have a list of your uh, a hot list of your media contacts. Who is it that you have a good relationship with? Where is it that your key audiences are following? Make sure they get covered first. Afterwards, you need to figure out where is it that my key uh, audience is communicating on social media? Make sure that place is covered. And then if the resources allow you to do so, create a black page or a black website, which is what we say, it's a site that's dedicated exclusively for crisis communication. To the issue. Right, because you don't want people to to go to your official website or official page and just knock out traffic. Right. You want to have that entity running uh, separately and smoothly while you deal with this situation. 
Dr. Min Lee, thank you for uh, being on the 10,000 Hour. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Drexel's 10,000 Hour podcast is hosted by me, Maurice Baynard. Our producers are Sean Fitzpatrick and Nathan Barrett. Drexel's 10,000 Hours podcast is powered by Drexel University Online.